Welcome to The Human Perspective with internationally recognized badass disability activist Judy Human. This week, Judy will be chatting with Jessica Slice, Sachin Pavitran, and Judith Rogers about their experiences as disabled parents. Judy also talks about her experience being a parent figure and a mentor to many young people in her life, which has brought her a lot of joy. Jessica Slice is a wheelchair user and a mother to her adopted son. She is a writer who has been featured in Alice Wong's anthology, Disability Visibility, along with several news publications, including the New York Times. And she is currently working on a series of children's books about families with disabilities, with the first one being titled, This is How We Play. Sachin Pavitran is blind and is the executive director of the U.S. Access Board, which is a federal agency devoted to accessibility for people with disabilities, and he is the father of two. Judith Rogers has cerebral palsy, is a mother and a grandmother, and works with Through the Looking Glass, which provides respectful and empowering services, guided by personal disability experience and disability culture, for families that have children, parents, or grandparents with a disability. She is also the author of The Disabled Woman's Guide to Pregnancy and Birth. The Human Perspective is produced by me, Becca Howell, and Judy Human. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to The Human Perspective. So let's roll up, lay down, dance around, get some snacks ready, whatever makes you feel best, and let's meet our guests today. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Human Perspective. I'm very excited about the program we're going to be doing today. I'm going to be talking about parenting with three people who have different experiences. Uh, the intent of this is really to help continue to spur discussion about parenting for parents who have disabilities and may also have kids with disabilities. So thank you all for coming to the show. Maybe we could start off with a little bit of information from each of you about what your first experiences were when you decided you wanted to be a parent. Jessica, you want to start? Sure. You know, I really um, stumbled into being a parent. I, I have a disability. I'm, um, I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and POTS, and mine manifests in a way that when I'm not in the house, I use a wheelchair, and I'm mostly bed-bound and sofa-bound. Um, and I was living in California and dating my husband and we bought a house and we, you know, I, I heard about foster parenting and I can't remember how I did, but I, it just struck me that if we had extra room and there were kids who needed places to stay that we should open up our house, which I now see as kind of simplistic way of thinking of foster parenting, but we got our foster license and were licensed for temporary to be a temporary home for ages zero through 12 years old. And um, the licensing process was pretty difficult for me. I had to sit in 24 hours of course in person and the rooms were too hot and I don't thermoregulate well and I'm unable to uh, engage mentally for that, you know, for four to six hours at a time, which I needed to do. So it took me a long time to compete, complete the courses. And then I also had to get doctor's approval to be a parent, which I really worried about, but that ended up being okay. Once I could show that we had the financial capacity to get help, 
but there were some obstacles in being licensed. And then uh, the second child that stayed with us was our son who we ended up adopting. And he came to stay when he was eight days old. Did you feel that there was a bias against your becoming licensed because you had a disability or were they working with you to help you figure out what you needed to do in order to be able to obtain the license? There was certainly a bias. I mean, there was an explicit requirement that you have the physical capacity to lift a child and to walk with a child. I mean, there were explicit requirements that I couldn't meet. And I um, chose to just try to not tell them the truth. Um, You know, when a licensing worker came to interview us at home, I can't really sit up at a table, but I forced myself to do it. And I kept leaving to take breaks and lie on the bathroom floor and then go back to the table. Um, I really had to, um, you know, I have, I guess the luxury of appearing non-disabled for very short periods of time. And I used that to get my license because there were definite biases against um, giving foster licenses to people who had dis- you know, disabilities. And you were being responsible because you also knew that you were parenting with your then husband. And so mm-hmm. the two of you together were able to give your child what he needed. I felt confident in my ability to parent safely. I didn't, you know, I guess it's some like, moral uncertainty about fudging my ability, but I felt, or ethical uncertainty, but I felt kind of my own moral certainty that I would be a safe and good mother and that I just needed to get through the gatekeepers to do so. When I was working at Through the Looking Glass full time and people who um, were trying to adopt, that was huge barriers. And we had to show how they could do it and um, being able to give them a visual clue with somebody who didn't look, um, uh, someone who looked quite disabled. And there are things, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen, that they're willing to give disabled people disabled babies, which makes it much harder to take care of. Very interesting. So Judy, maybe you could um, speak a little bit about yourself. You're the oldest of this group. (laughs) And so um, I only raise that because um, you had your first child, what year? I had Anya in 1976 and I got to miss the 504 demonstration because she was six months old and my job was to take care of her. Didn't see how I could do it in the building. I just, <laughs> I used to go into CIL. It was very empty. Um, so I, I always wanted to have a baby and I always thought of myself, I knew I was disabled, but I also pretended I wasn't because I, had a limp and I thought I could pass, but Judy told me I didn't. Um, I'm married to a doctor, so um, I had no prejudice at the hospital whatsoever. I don't know if they would have seen or done, though my labor was quite intense and Peter had to hold my leg up to his chest to stop 
it's spasming around so we could deliver a baby and not a leg. Um, so I, when I w was six months pregnant and babysitting, that's when all of a sudden the terror came in. I thought, how am I going to be able to do this? And I wasn't sure. But being 30 was way easier and walking, um, carrying the baby was a little difficult, but for the most part, for me, I, I left the crib side down. Back then the cribs were more accessible. They're in, impossible now. And so I had no problem more with discipline with my son. Glad he's not here. <laughs> Maybe you could give a little brief explanation about what Through the Looking Glass is. Through the Looking Glass has had several federal grants and it was the National um, Center for Parenting with a Disability. We have had money which gave us the luxury of creating baby care equipment for all disabilities and most of the staff works with parents with intellectual disabilities. After we got the federal grants, my niche was more with physical or visual or, or deaf. Um, had to make a crime monitor for a mom who needed uh, a vibrating crime monitor for when her baby was uh, crying. She wouldn't wake up with the lights flashing. So the mother was, was deaf, right? Yeah, the, both parents were deaf, yes. So I created one. There's one in um, England, but we don't have it here. But I found the instructions on how to do it. And I got someone to make a cry monitor vibrate. So as a mother, were there challenges that you faced having a disability and how did you address some of those it was horrible because what <laughs> we I'll, I'll bring it back uh, what we call this visual history of images of how parenting should be done and one of the things i can't pick up a tantrum child it's impossible even though i can use my left hand somewhat that, you know, and you always see about picking up a child and moving them. And it took a while later of working it through the looking glass where I finally came up with it. The issue is separation. It doesn't matter who separates. So you can go into your own room and close the door. The child will come after you because they don't want to be left alone. So I didn't have to pick up that tantruming child. I had to be the one to leave. And once that became, uh, I became aware, then a whole new spectrum, you know, fell into place. If my son didn't want to go with me, I, you know, I would have, I would have the temper tantrum because I couldn't pick him up again. And so if you can go into your car and just wait, they don't want to be left to grill. And as I said, and so there's different things, but 
when you're the, one of the first on the block to parent and you come into issues that you've never seen before, you go, what the hell do I do? So you, in the end, learned another way of how to work with your child that was appropriate and you felt good about what you were doing. Yeah, I, 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 yes, I, I'm very pleased. All these years, I picked up little things about human beings, big and small. Sachin, so tell us about your journey into parenting. So, you know, when before I became a dad, you know, the whole idea of becoming a dad was, it was nerve wracking because of my blindness. I wasn't sure whether I could be a good dad, um, but I was fortunate to be surrounded by other uh, blind role models who are parents who kind of gave me some, I guess, pointers on, you know, what blind parenting could look like, um, what, you know, what things you need to keep in mind. When, when I had my first, uh, you know, when, when my first daughter was born, uh, I was all prepared for what, in what to expect. And because of my current, because of my eye condition, I, I knew there was a pretty high probability that they, you know, my kids could also have a similar eye disorder I have, which is retinitis pigmentosa. And I was all prepared for that. But when she was born, uh, what we found out that she kept failing her hearing test. And the first time uh, it happened, you know, they do the test right when they were born and they said, well, that's normal. It, 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 sometimes it happens and they just test back again two days later, and, but she kept failing the test. Now I was all ready for what to do if my kid was blind. I was not at all prepared. What if my kid had some other disability, you know, especially a hearing loss. So that adjustment thinking what could happen was really scary for me. Now things worked out fine. It, uh, in in a couple of months, or uh, she was, you know, they realized she just had water in her ears and they just had to drain the liquid. So that so things all worked out and she doesn't have a hearing loss and she she doesn't have a disability. It, but it was scary for a moment when here I'm prepared for the blindness side of things but not prepared for other disability and uh, how I would function as a parent. Now, it, it was interesting with my oldest daughter. I feel like my oldest daughter came perfectly prepared and <laughs> like she, she, she worked really well with everything I was trying to do, her, her temperament and she understanding she was maturing a lot quicker and like, I felt like by two years old, she was understanding things that I didn't think two years old should understand. And later on- That's an example. Uh, just uh, how she realized that I couldn't see and then simple things. At the age of year and a half, two years, she would grab my hand and put it at, on things that she's trying to point at uh, so that I could, you know, I knew what she was talking about. Just, uh, just simple things that she just, without uh, you know without me saying or showing her she has just picked up because she somehow figured out uh, you know i couldn't see and she was relating to it and that that's not something expected a two-year-old will be able to do 
then came my second daughter, which was straight opposite, who uh, really tries everything to uh, take advantage of my blindness, even today that she, she might just keep quiet and stay silent so that I don't know where she is. <laughs> um, so, you know, so it's it's different. You you think you got it all figured out and then you come, then comes my second daughter. Then I had to rethink about parenting, what I should do as a, a blind parent. And and it's a, a lot of it, she does it in, in a teasing manner, but sometimes it gets a little nerve wracking. Uh, for example, when, uh, when she was about two, two and a half years old, she was playing in the backyard and for all of a sudden, I couldn't hear where she was. Um, she, what I did with my kids was I had them wear these shoes that had these squeaky sounds. So when they walked, they squeak. Well, she decided to take them off. And then she decided to kind of hide from me. But it was a 30 minutes of hell, I guess, because I could not figure out. Now, she couldn't leave the yard because it's all fenced in. But I couldn't figure out where she was. She was standing five feet away from me, dead silent, to see what I do. Wow. So you know, so different experience with different kids. But you know, it did help that I knew other blind parents, so I could kind of get ideas from them. You know, it was interesting. Right before I had my first daughter, um, you know, one of uh, one of our good one of my good friends who was blind, who was a dad, he's he was telling there's no way you're getting out of the diaper duty because blindness is not a reason why you can't change diapers. So I became a good, I, I became an expert in diaper changing. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, so I didn't, I didn't shy away from, you know, parenting responsibilities. Um, you know, I think I thought it was important that I played, you know, my part in making sure that I do, you know, what I need to do as a dad. For the blind parents I work with, I give them the tile and their phones so they can find their kid out in the playground just as in a, mm -hmm. for people but to do diaper changing to know that you cleaned up all the poop what what has been your technique so a lot of it is being systematic where i where where you start and how you wipe so you know i go more than i need to as far as the area i cover just to make sure so i'm not uh, guessing so and i probably use more wipes than most people would <laughs> just to take the excess now obviously there are situations when there were you know explosions <laughs> Yeah, that's, <laughs> and, yeah. at, at, at that point the only thing in search of me trying to figure out what what's going on it's take them to the bat and you know it, there's a guarantee clean at that point <laughs> <laughs> so sachin um you said you were born in india and then you grew up in dubai and i'm wondering did you experience any biases from family or community about um you're getting married, having children, and if so, how did you address it? Yeah, so um, the marriage part, uh, not as much. Uh, the having kids, especially coming from um, not from my immediate family, but more from my uh, relatives, when they found out that I was alone with my kids, my like my uncle or my aunt or my grandparents, they would get nervous. Like, how, how would you, you know, why would you do that? The questions come up where they, 
they didn't think it was safe for me to be there with it. Now, because I've been away from my family for a long time. So a lot of them don't see how I function as an independent blind person. So there's a lot of this uh, assumptions on how I can function as a parent because they didn't see it firsthand. So when I when, when they call and they realize I'm home with a kid by myself, the red flags go up. And I've had one aunt especially reach out to my mom and tell her, can you talk to, you know, talk to me, basically find out ways that I can have some hired help in, uh, you know, in situations where I'm not alone with the kids. But basically, have your parents been very supportive of you throughout your life that you're able to do these things? Yeah, my my parents overall have been very supportive. It's it's more from my extended family that right. uh, they have lots of red flags. They they've gone to know you know they they've adjusted a lot more over the years. In the initial times were a lot harder. Um, Jessica, you talked a little bit about how you're writing books. Could you yeah. talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, so I'm working on two kids books right now um and one of them is called this is how we play and uh, a college friend who has cerebral palsy and i interviewed a couple dozen disabled moms to write it and asked how they play with their kids and um i mean those conversations were really meaningful i don't think we expected uh the conversations themselves to make the whole project worthwhile, but it, it made us realize that so many disabled parents feel really isolated and ashamed of their reality. Um, and my guess is that's lack of representation, that if you don't see people living like you, you assume there's a reason that that you don't and that it's something to hide. But, but these conversations were incredible and we were struck by how like innovative and loving and um, interdependent these family play uh, relationships were. And so then we took those scenarios and wrote a book, um, a rhyming book, and each page uh, has a couplet describing how a family plays and a member of every family has a disability. So, um, you know, physical and intellectual and, um, and then some mental health also. And, um, and that's been really, really exciting to work on. And it looks like there's gonna be another one. This is how we eat and this is how we learn, which will be the same thing. And I'm excited about the eating to be able to describe um, just all the different creative ways that people eat with disabilities and how that celebrates, you know, both like accessibility with robotic arms and then celebrates different cultures with the foods that they're eating and then also interdependence, like families where people feed each other, you know, parents feed kids. And then in some families, kids feed parents. And um, so these books have just been really exciting to work on. And I had never imagined that I would be writing picture books. I, I want to say one of my favorite things, uh, I, a mom with CP who could not feed herself, but she had uh, a creative way of feeding her baby. I had put way back when, when 
uh, infant car seats weren't as clunky on her wheelchair and she would use, um, put a spoon in her mouth and be able mm. to put the, the you know, dip into the cereal. And then her baby um, took his hand to help guide her um, mm. put the food in her mouth. And I, I just, it's just, Wonderful, because I think what we do as parents is children really, um, really work together as teams. Many times these kids will stop and do what you need. I fell and my son started, stopped his temper tantrum. And then once I was up, he started it all over again. Okay, all bets are off. I'm ready to go back to my my role. But he knew that you were okay. Once he knew I was okay, yes. I was just thinking yesterday, my son and I were playing this iPad strategy game that he likes to play together. And the other day after an hour playing it, I said that my muscles were tired. Um, And so when we were doing it yesterday, he said, how are your muscles? And he said, uh, why don't I get you a circle, which are these um, like heat packs. I'm holding up a um, blue or ice pack, these blue ice pack circles I use. And he thought of an idea of getting me an ice pack so I could keep playing this game with him. And I, um, I just felt thankful that he was developing this skill of empathy and of paying attention to another person's experience and another person's body. Um, and it made me really glad that he, that he can think that way and, and feel those things. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. He also wanted to probably continue playing with you. Oh yeah. It wasn't, it, yeah, it was. No, I mean, I think it's beautiful but... all the way around. Yeah. Right. He got something out of it too, but he knew that if you were experiencing pain that adversely affected your ability to play, I think that's, I think these stories, are very important. And I don't think that they're just stories that disabled people have, but there is something I think unique about the stories that you've all been discussing um, that will allow other people considering having children or having children, helping non-disabled people look a little bit more at what their biases are. So Sachin, you were speaking a little bit about your family, um, your relatives and their views. I'm, I'm wondering with all of you, are there experiences either positively or negatively uh, that you've had around uh, your being out and about um, or in your home where someone else has been there, where um, there's been an aha moment on their part seeing things that they thought people couldn't do or where people made comments to you that you felt were out of line? So I'll, I'll jump in. So, you know, I, I like to go to the park with my kids. Uh, you know, when we have certain rules that we have set that works with us, you know, so when they go from one equipment to the next, they're supposed to let me know, um, you know, and then I told you about the squeaky shoes. Uh, you know, when they're little kids. Now, now that they're older, uh, you know, they, there's more communi- verbal communication going on. But uh, I've had instances when 
parents or others who are in that kind of setting notice that I'm there with these kids and they some are just you know being nice and they come up to you and say hey your kid is uh, over there like well, I know where my kid is so the this assumptions that people made then there's situations where par um, parents have approached um, not approached me but approached others is is basically questioning if I'm able to be responsible or also sometimes making comments like that it's it's good that your your kids can help you out you know when you're walking or when I'm walking around with them you know it's it's this assumption that it's either I might not be responsible or it is an assumption I'm better off because my kids can see so they can help me out so it's never like you know about me being a good parent or anything it's always uh, the other aspects of it. Um, one thing uh, when my kids were really young, the I the babysitter that we had, she was blind also, and her husband was blind as well. Now that did sit well with a lot of people, uh, especially from in my side of the family and others who heard about it. Because here I'm blind, and then I'm having blind people take care of my kids to be a babysitter because I travel a lot. So there are times where I need a babysitter. And in that situation, that was not well received by some people. But the experience my kids had with, you know, her name is Amanda, Amanda, who was the babysitter, uh, is remarkable. They still talk about it. They're still good friends with uh, Amanda, who was the babysitter. Amanda used to take them everywhere like like i used to hear from uh my colleagues hey i saw, I saw your daughter maya at the, this store or at this restaurant and because and i thought it was a good experience for people to see you know blind people functioning normally now even though she was the babysitter functioning just uh, things like that and i did similar activities with my kids but it's it, it's always kind of um I don't know. I, it, it feels like I'm always having to explain myself that I am responsible as a parent and I can do things on my own. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not dependent on my kids to take care of me. I mean, I, living in Berkeley, I really didn't hit any um, problem. But where it was is, and Sachin would have it. I think Jessica, your son is too young, is my kids were getting teased. Oh, your mother is disabled. Oh, your and I would have to get them to, to say, so what? And I said to them, tell them I get good parking. And my, and my kids would say, they don't care. And I try to say, they will. <laughs> so do your kids get teased, Sachin? Um. No, not that I'm aware of. Um, I, I know my kids do talk about my blindness to, to their friends. In fact, uh, my oldest one has invited me to a class to, to kind of, um, you know, talk about. No and tell. Yeah, kind of show. Well, not sure. It's more to talk about uh, what I do and things like yeah. that. And she specifically wants me to talk about how I function as a blind person. My youngest one, not, not as much, but my youngest one is more of a rebel. Uh, my oldest ones are very different. They're, they're, they're very different. There's no comparison. Is your youngest one more like you? I think so. 
<laughs> She's stubborn. <laughs> I thought of a couple of things for that. Um, the first thing I thought of was when I, so before I was Cleo's parent, I um, used a manual wheelchair or a mobility scooter. And then when he was a little older, I wasn't able to go with him to the playground because I couldn't like stay on the manual wheelchair for long enough to be comfortable for me. And I just started missing out on things. And so I ended up getting a power wheelchair, a power reclining wheelchair. And um, my neurologist was really resistant to that. Um, he said, well, if you get this, maybe you'll decondition more. And, you know, and that I needed it for parenting wasn't adequate for him. And then later I was at the airport in that wheelchair um, and someone in a, who worked at the airport told me they weren't allowed to let kids ride on their parents on the wheelchair. We were told that David had to carry Khalil and that I couldn't carry him. And, you know, it, and it was, it was a blip, but those blips end up mattering. Um, and it's not inferior to carry a child on a wheelchair versus walking. Um, but I would say the thing that happens the most is that because our family is transracial and Cleo's black and, and I'm white, when Cleo and I are out and it's just us, um, people <laughs> just offer kind of unnecessary encouragement. You know, we get a lot of like, good for you too, or you're doing a great job or like, and we're just doing very normal things. And I know that like can feel a little off-putting too, to be told good job for like taking a walk together. Um, and it makes me feel like our life story is like people are making assumptions about our entire life story um, and that I'm not always prepared to take all of those on just by being out of the house. Yeah, my husband and I um, will go down the street and frequently he'll hold on to my wheelchair and because I've used a motorized wheelchair and people say, are you racing? All kinds of things, you know, and I've just learned not to challenge people. I just smile and whatever, you know, you want to take them aside and have a discussion with them, but that's not why I'm outside. So not to educate, but for me and my husband, we don't have any kids. We didn't get married till I was 44. And, uh, but we're very close with like nieces and nephews. And we have a family that we're very close to where the little boy is now six and we do a lot of things with them. So, but also the same kinds of concerns, you know, couldn't do this, I can't do that, I can't lift him. Luckily he's, I mean, even using that word, luckily, it's, um, I can't pick him up. Um, but it's very funny how he's adjusted when Jorge got a new manual wheelchair, we kept the old one in the living room, like for the first day. And when Theodore came in, he sat in the wheelchair and it is now his wheelchair. He comes in, he sits in it right away. He rolls around the apartment. He'll take it outside. So I think, you know, kids really adapt. And even though he's not our son, he really, it's very cute to see how he, sometimes I would say, I don't know, protective is the right word, but can predict things that we may need and can be out there first. One of the parents I had was a grandparent and she has post-polio. And 
no strength in her arms whatsoever. So I made a step to go onto her wheelchair and he learned to climb up and then climb up under her lap. And that's one of the wonderful things of doing techniques. Like when I taught people who don't have good hand movement and um, they need to, their, their other half wants them to diaper. You will diaper. A, a friend of Judy's and mine was a client and he has sort of, a, he has muscular dystrophy and his wife wanted him to diaper. I taught him to, that the baby could lift her legs up and help him. And one of the funniest thing is I put a toy mobile onto the diapering table and we filmed it when it first happened and she was on his lap and, and she didn't want to go because she knew it was diapering. And, but she saw the toy mobile and it was going toys. And she finally climbed up onto the table and lifted her legs up so he could um, diaper her. And they, you know, have a good relationship because all that working together as a team really gets a stronger bond, I feel. I could be pretending that all parents have strong bonds, but this in the long run was really a wonderful thing. So we're at, we're getting close to um, wrapping up. Are there any final words, Jessica, that you'd like to share? Um, I mean, I think that what I think all the time, and I and I meant to mention this earlier when you asked about writing, but I'm writing um, a memoir and have been talking to a couple of agents about that. And in it, I talk about you know disabled parenting a lot, and I wish I saw just the the daily kind of boringness of being a disabled parent reflected more in TV and books and um, visually, because I think I um, brought a lot of like imposter syndrome and a lot of shame into my own experience of parenting that I may not have to the same extent if I had seen parents like me reflected. Like if there wasn't this particular way of being a super mom or having like a powerful body that could lift a car off a child that there's, you know, there's all sorts of ways of, um, of loving and of being a devoted mom and partner. And I, I know it would have helped me to see those reflected more in even uninteresting ways that it doesn't even have to be the whole story or the topic of the story, but just, just a part of the story. Right. I think that's a great point. And, you know, we discussed media and lack of representation and thinking about exactly as you're discussing, never seeing a disabled person as a parent um, in a comedy, in a serious program. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we could write a very funny program, I'm sure, about parents uh, who happen to have disabilities, have disabilities and uh, what their lives are like with their kids. So I, th I think it's really great. Sachin, any final words? One thing that helped me a lot uh, is be surrounding myself with other parents with disabilities, you know, blind parents specifically, 
So I think it's important, you know, if any disabled person who is thinking of being a parent, don't be discouraged from by what what you hear out there, but you know, associates, you know, be part of the community that's out there who who has gone through the same experiences that they can kind of talk about it. And it's not saying your experience is going to be the same, but there's a lot you can gain uh, or glean from you know, other people's experiences on how you can better prepare yourself. I know that's helped me a lot. And also remembering, you know, there's going to be situations where you feel like you're, you're role as a parent is being questioned and that's there's no way hiding from that that's going to come up in some way or fashion it you know you can choose to roll with it you know you don't you don't owe anyone an uh, an explanation you know sometimes i just uh depending upon circumstance i explain and sometimes i just ignore it and just move on so it's uh it's what I said, you know, surround yourself with a community that's going, going to really help you understand all the different aspects. Thank you. Judy? I'm going to give a plug to Through the Looking Glass because we have, I, I made and the newer OTs are updating it, a grid on what's accessible out there in terms of new equipment. When I started off, there wasn't user-friendly and we had to create it there's much more user-friendly baby care equipment and it is important I'll, I'll second what um, Jessica and Sachin said it's important to not feel alone I was the only one actually at my time at, at CIL at the time where I was doing having kids well Megan and Hal but it was you feel isolated when you don't know what's going on and being able to talk to other people and get other techniques and techniques are as important as equipment, you know, um, because that helps you throughout it. And the other big thing is visual history, meaning that we carry images and we have to start carrying images of how people with disabilities parent and we don't have enough. Yeah, and they don't have to be visual as in through your eyes, but they have to be in various ways like Jessica's writing the books. Right. Well, I wanna thank you all. I think this was great. You've all got great lives, great stories, and your kids are clearly benefiting from having wonderful parents. You've been tuning in to The Human Perspective with Judy Human. This week, our guests were Jessica Slice, Sachin Pavitron, and Judith Rogers. Be sure to check out Jessica and Judy's writing, which will be linked in the description below. The intro music for The Human Perspective is Dragon, which is produced and performed by Lachi, Yontero, and Juaren. And the outro music is I Wait by Galen Lee. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to The Human Perspective. And follow Judy on Twitter at Judith Human and on Instagram and Facebook at The Human Perspective.